There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. Every Bibles, take them and turn to Leviticus chapter number four. Leviticus chapter number four. I will not ask you to stand. I know you honor and revere God's word. But this is an extended passage of scripture. We'll be reading all 35 verses of chapter number 4. The reason that we'll be doing that is because uh, there is different aspects of this chapter that we'll cover. And, and I feel like if I read it all the way through, you will have that in the background of your mind as we attack and, and draw out the truth from this chapter number 4. So Leviticus chapter 4 and verse number 1. Read down through verse 35. Leviticus uh, Leviticus 4 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Moses, saying, Speaking to the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning the things which ought not be to be done, and shall do against any of them, if the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring uh, for his sin which uh, he hath sinned a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for a burnt offering or for a sin offering. And he shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord and shall slay and shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head and kill the bullock before the Lord. And the priest that is anointed shall take of the bullock's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and and, and sprinkle of the blood seven times before the Lord, before the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of a sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour all the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and he shall take off from it all the fat of the bullock of the sin offering and the fat that covereth the inwards and all the fat that is upon the inwards and the two kidneys and the fat that is that is upon them which is by the flanks and the call above the liver with the kidneys it shall he take away as it is it was taken off the bullock of the sacrifice of peace offerings, and the peace shall, and the priest shall burn them upon the altar of the burnt offering, and the skin of the bullock and all his flesh and his head with his head and with his legs and his in, inwards and his dung, even the whole bullock shall he carry forth without the camp unto the a clean place where the ashes are poured out and the burnt and burn him uh, on wood with fire where the ashes are poured out, shall he be burnt. And if the whole congregation of Israel sin through ignorance, and the thing and the thing be hid from the eyes of the assembly, and they have done somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which should not be done, and are guilty, 
When the sin which they have sinned against is known, then the congregation shall offer a young bullock for the sin and bring him before the tabernacle of the congregation. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands upon the head of the bullock before the Lord. And the bullock shall be killed before the Lord. And the priest that is anointed shall bring the bullock's blood of the tabernacle of the congregation. Uh, of, of the congregation and the priest shall dip his finger in some of the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord even before the veil and he shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar which is before the Lord uh, that is in the tabernacle of the congregation and shall pour out all the blood at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and he shall take all of his uh, all his fat from him and burn it up, uh, upon the altar. And he shall do with the bullock as he did with the bullock for the sin offering. So shall he do with this. And the priest shall make an atonement for them and it shall be forgiven them. And he shall carry forth the bullock without the camp and burn him as he burned the first bullock. And it is a sin offering for the congregation. Now there's another uh, de- designation. We saw a priest... We saw the congregation, and now we see a ruler. Look at verse 22. When a ruler hath sinned and done somewhat through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord his God concerning things which should be, should not be done and is guilty, or if he sin wherein he hath sinned come to his knowledge, he shall bring his offering, a kid of the goats, a male without blemish, and he shall lay his hand upon the head of the goat and kill it in the place where they killed the burnt offering before the Lord, it shall be a sin offering. And the priest shall take the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offering. Notice the difference here. He did not take the blood into the holy place, but on the outside and put it on the horns of the burnt uh, altar of the burnt offering and shall pour out his blood at the bottom of the altar of burnt offering. And it shall, and he shall burn all his fat upon the altar as the fat of the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin and it shall be forgiven him. And if any one of the common people, so here's another designation. It seems as though we are going down a hierarchy of the people of Israel. We saw the priests, the spiritual leadership, the congregation, which is a tier of the spiritual leadership. Then a ruler, more like a political leader, until finally just the rank and file, uh, a member of the, of the, of the children of Israel. It's in verse 27. And if any one of the common people sin through ignorance, while he doeth somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done, he and be guilty, or if his sin which he hath committed come to his knowledge, then he shall bring his offering a kid of the goats, a female without blemish, for his sin which he hath sinned. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering and slay the sin offering in the place of the burnt offering. And the priest shall take the blood thereof with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offering and shall pour out the blood thereof on the bottom uh, at the bottom of the altar. And he shall take away all the fat thereof and the fat that is taken away from the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it upon the altar for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the priest shall make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. And if he bring a lamb for the sin offering, he shall bring it, 
it a female without blemish. He shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering and slay it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall take of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of the burnt offering. And he shall pour out all the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar. And he shall take away all the fat thereof and the fat of the lamb, which is taken away from the sacrifice of the peace offerings. Um, and the priest shall burn them upon the altar according to the offerings made by fire unto the Lord. And the priest shall make an atonement for his sin that he hath uh, committed and it shall be forgiven him. I want you to take note of the different designations and what is going on in this chapter. And we'll, maybe we'll do a quick review before I start after we pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. God, we have been spent much time in this Old Testament looking at these shadows, but Jesus is the substance. God, I pray that you'd take this book, this ancient book of Leviticus, this handbook of priests, and I pray that you'd show us outlines of Jesus. I pray that you'd show us insight into the world of our sin, how black it is, how dark it is, how, how it must be dealt with by a holy God. And I pray that you give us insight into Jesus, our ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice of all sacrifice. Maybe he be glorified in our lives this evening. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I wonder, can you quote Romans 5.12? Romans 5.12. Wherefore, as by one man, join anytime you want to, wherefore as by one man, Sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. You see, there's been a lot of Bible verses that I've tried to memorize throughout my life. I've sat down, I remember when I was going through a discipleship course and trying to remember Galatians 2.20, and uh, Sure enough, I'd go blank right now and not know Galatians 2.20. But I remember sitting uh, sitting in a coffee shop and I'd take my uh, Bible and I'd look at that verse and I would read that verse and close my eyes and try to say it. And phrase by phrase, I'd try to memorize Galatians uh, 2.20. There in that little... And I'd do it over and over and over again to try to commit it to memory. But Romans 5.12... I never actually set out to memorize that verse. When I first started preaching somewhere, uh, or somewhere nearly in every message that I brought, I would always bring up this verse. You look at some of my first messages I put together. Romans 5.12 was critical. And I preached it and I recited it and I read it so many times that somewhere along the way, I just memorized it. I don't remember actually sitting down and trying it. I just read it and read it so many times that it finally took hold in my mind. I would repeat it so much as I looked at the notes. I used it so much, but Because it went straight to the heart of man's problem. What is man's problem? Man's problem is S-I-N. It is sin. Sin is our problem. 
And just as we on this side of the cross of Calvary have a sin problem, so did the men on the other side of Calvary. Those in the Old Testament had a sin problem as well. And although God's dealings with sin may look very different from our vantage point on this side of Calvary, yet one is but a mere shadow of the other. By the study of this Old Testament shadow of God's dealings with sin, the New Testament substance, which is Jesus Christ, comes blazingly clear. Like Romans 5.12 says, every one of us has a sin problem. But here in the sin offering, we can see how God deals with our sin problem. And so that's what I want you to see tonight. Three things and uh, three ways in which God deals with sin in our lives. I want you to notice first of all, I want you to see the segregations of the sin offering. The segregations of the sin offering. While reading the text, I I made it clear. I, I stopped and told you. The first part of the sin offering was for the priest. What did they have to do? Bring a bullet. And they had to take the blood and take it into the uh, the holy place. Not the most holy, but the holy place in the tabernacle. And then burn some of it and take it without the camp. Members of the congregation, this would be others. But I, I made it clear that there are segregations. There are different people groups in that whole chapter dealing with uh, dealing with sin. And I think we see some things in that. The first thing we see in the segregation of the sin offering, we see the gravity of sin. The gravity of sin. If you will notice that when the priest sins out of ignorance, we see for the first time that the blood has been taken into the holy place. If you'll recall all the offerings up to this point, we've not gone inside the tabernacle. Remember we spent late summer, a uh, summer into the fall talking about that tabernacle and all the intricate pieces. Well, what, what we find here is that in the offerings we never see we never see uh, that that blood going into uh, going into that uh, that tabernacle. But here, when it comes to the sin offering of the priest, we find blood going into the holy place. The same is true for the congregation. This congregation would be represented by the elders. Look at verse number uh, fifteen. And the elders of the congregation shall lay hands upon the head. This would be like the religious leaders of the day. We could parallel it with the the Sanhedrin. You know, Jesus was judged by a group of religious leaders called the Sanhedrin. Well, that would be analogous, parallel to what we find here. They weren't necessarily priests but they were religious judges or religious leaders. When they sinned, they too had to atone for sin and it required not only to have blood placed in the holy place, but after that, to bar- the parts to be burned outside the camp. It is it, uh, The remainder was to be taken outside the camp and burned. One pastor who had a member of his church uh, I was listening to, had a member of his church said that for a good stock 
of bullock. Notice, both of those groups had to purchase a bullock. The price for a good stock of bullock. You know, that's what it had to be without spot and blemish. It had to be the best. You could run as much as five to six figures in the thousands and hundreds, ten thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars for a good stock of bullock. I mean, it was expensive, right? Now, put that in your mind. Priests, spiritual leaders, a high cost of a bullock. Notice the next level. Then we came, uh, the next segregation, we see this is not the case. In verse 22, details the sin of a political leader. This was not a religious leader. He would be like a local county mayor. He would be like a local political leader. Not a religious one, but a political one. If he sinned out of ignorance, then he was to bring a male goat. We find when we read that, that there was no entrance into the holy place. Am I boring you to death? Please stay with me. There's going to be a great truth come out of this. We find that they don't go into the holy place, but they merely sacrifice the goat. The goat would be what? A cheaper sacrifice. Wouldn't be as expensive as the bullock. It would be a cheaper sacrifice. Uh, and it was, and also it was not taken outside the camp. Uh, verse 27, the same is true with the common person. Only this time, it could be a female. That's another step down in the cost of the sacrifice. Matter of fact, if you study uh, this sin offering for the common man in other various passages, you can find that can even go down to as little as two turtle doves and even further than that, a tenth of an ephod of wheat. They could give as a sacrifice. That's basically a good handful of sac- for their sin offering. Now look at what we have here. For the priesthood, the, the higher echelon, we have this very expensive offering, very elaborate, uh, 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 elaborate taking care of sin by going to the holy place all the way down to the common man who could merely bring a handful of meal. You see, those are segregations. It pictures to us the gravity of sin. Sin in spiritual leadership is costly. It is immensely costly. The sin of a pastor or the sin of a church can bring great damage not only to the people of God, but to the cause of Jesus Christ. That's why James 3.1 says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that ye shall receive the greater condemnation. You see, if you are a person of leadership, if you are a pastor, if you are a preacher, if you are a a Sunday school teacher, a leader in any way, a deacon for that matter, a leadership position, we hold a place of higher scrutiny by God. We hold a place in which many could be led astray, in which many could be caused to fall and be and stumble along the way. Therefore, the price of sin is higher. That's why Ted Haggard, when he comes out with his drug abuse and his homosexuality, is a slap in the face to God's kingdom. 
That's why the failure of Jimmy Swaggart and all these ones, we could name them one by one. That's why they make the headlines. That's why they're splattered all across the page. The sin is more costly. That's why all of us should pray for our leadership. That's why I beg, I beg your prayers. That's why I covet and desire for you to pray for me and our Sunday school teachers and our deacon. It is important in the area of the gravity of sin, the costliness of sin. Not only the gravity of sin is seen here, but also the grace of the Savior is seen here. I find it interesting that the common man all the way down to a tenth of an ephod of barley could be given for the price of sin. I want you to notice we read it several times in our in our scripture reference. I did not note them, but you'll notice time and time again it says it shall be forgiven them. It shall be forgiven them. It shall be forgiven them. Listen, God could have left the transgress offering. God could have left the sin offering completely off the chart. We'd be dead and doomed for hell. We're a people that cannot live up to His moral law, cannot meet His standards. We'd be lost forever in our sin without some route of recourse for forgiveness. Oh, but God made a way of forgiveness in these sacrifices, God may well be showing us the high cost of sin, but at the same time, He shows us that, and He reveals to us that no matter what the sin, no matter how grave and how terrible the sin, you see, I'm of the conviction that what Ted Haggard did was wrong, and what Jimmy Swaggart and all those men have done was wrong, but I still also believe that a Ted Haggard can be forgiven of sin. I believe a Jimmy Swaggart can be forgiven given of sin. No matter what blasphemy, no matter what a blackened eye they give to the cause of Christ, they can be forgiven. Oh, listen, it shows us the greatness of God's grace. The grace of His of the Savior. I think about Romans 5, 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound by where sin abounded. Grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through the righteousness unto the eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Oh, I find it interesting that... Uh, right after he gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, you'll not go just a handful of verses later till you find God asking for a sacrifice. He knew we could not keep the law. He knew we could not uh, keep the law of Moses and uphold the law of God. And so immediately he made a way that we could fellowship with God. Oh, the grace of the Savior. I want you to see in these segregations the gravity of sin. Listen, we should never, we should never uh, say, take sin lightly. I uh, think about work and I think about work and how that uh, there's a phrase that I picked up on and, and uh, at my work, it's nuclear work and you have to keep up with every mistake. Every mistake. Every inconsistency in a part must be documented. It must be submitted to a customer and it must be okay. And uh, 
I've heard my boss say uh, several times, it's called a, a non-conformance report. Brother, Brother Bill might have heard a non-conformance report. And he said, we'll write it up on a an NCR, a non-conformance report, and we'll just say it's a, a no, never mind. And we'll submit it to the customer. Basically, that's saying it's a mistake, but it's okay. It's not a problem. It's not going to be an issue. It's not going to damage anything. It's a no, never mind. It's a just, just don't worry about it. Use it as it is. Well, I want to tell you when it comes to God, when it comes to His sin, when it comes to His righteousness, there's no such thing as a no, never mind. There's no such thing as an overlooking. It all must be dealt with by blood. It's the segregation of sin. Not only the segregation of sin, but I want you to see something about the subject of the sin offering. The subject of the sin offering. One of the biggest excuses for disobedience among children, and I've heard them all, is the words, I forgot. I forgot. I, my Often my reply, and I think I say it too much, uh, uh, my reply is, well, I forgot. Isn't it right, Evan? I forgot, just don't what? Just don't cut it, right? I'll tell Evan or Grayson or I, I forgot, Allison, I forgot, just don't cut it. I think sometimes I say it too much. I believe Carrie overheard Evan talking to Grayson one time. Evan was all over Grayson. And Grayson said, well, I just forgot. And Evan told his brother, well, I forgot. Just don't cut it. And so, listen, I forgot don't cut it when it comes to children. And I forgot don't cut it when it comes to us and our sin before God. I forgot it. Don't cut it. If you'll notice that oftentimes in this chapter, it often references the sin of ignorance. You see, I want you to, in the subject of sin, I want you to see the explanation of the sin of ignorance. The Hebrew word means this, inadvertent transgression, unwittingly, unknowingly. Look at Leviticus 5. And verse 2 and 3. Leviticus 5 verse 2 and 3. Still in the same area, in the same breath as the, uh, as the sin offering, it says in verse 2, Or if a soul tea touch any unclean thing, whether it be a carcass of an unclean beast, or a carcass of an unclean cattle, or the carcass of an unclean, unclean creeping thing, and if it be hidden from him, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he toucheth uncleanness of man, whatsoever uncleanness it be, that a man shall be defiled withal, and it be hid from him. And when he knoweth it, he then he shall be guilty. Let me give you, let me explain that example. Let's say a Hebrew farmer is out in the field. And he's been working out there and it just so happens to discover a hide of an animal laying out into the field. Well, he sees this as a great opportunity, a blessing from God that can be used in his household, maybe even sold, maybe even a prophet. And so it was a, it was considered a blessing of God. He picks that hide up, takes it home. He shows it to his wife. They're all excited about the opportunity and the gain that it might bring. But later on in the evening, he finds out and gears word that that hide came from an unclean animal. He spent all day 
walking around as if he was clean and right with God. He touched this and shook hands with this person, hugged that person, thinking all the while he is clean. But in reality, he is unclean. When he discovers that, the Bible says, I didn't. The Word of God says, he's guilty. Now we might call it a, oh never mind, he didn't. No, never mind. He didn't know. But God's Word says that he's guilty. You see, that's the illustration. You see, Numbers, let me give you another illustration. Numbers 35 and verse 15 tell us just about the cities of refuge. It describes that. It says, And these six cities shall be a refuge both for the children of Israel and for the stronger and for the stranger and the sojourner among them that everyone that killeth a person unawares may flee thither. Then later on it begins to describe what does it mean to kill unawares. Listen to what it says in verse 20 through 23 of Numbers 35. But if he thrust him in hatred... Or hurl at him by laying in wait that he die. Or in enmity smite him with his hand that he die. He that smote him shall surely be put to death. For he is a murderer. The revenge of blood shall slay the murderer when he meet him. So we're talking about somebody that sneaks around the corner. That's got a rock. Got a weapon, got it out for somebody, and he comes up and with malice, with intent, brings him over the head. The Word of God says that these cities of refuge are not for him. But, notice what it says, it goes on to say, But if he thrust him suddenly without enmity, or have cast upon him anything without lying in wait, or any stone wherewith a man may die, seeing him not, and cast and cast it upon him that he die and was not his enemy, neither sought his harm. You see, this is that sin of ignorance. Sin of ignorance says a guy's got an axe. He's working in the field. His buddy across the way is working as well. The man raises the axe. The axe head slips off. Conks the other guy in the head and he lies there dead. That is a sin of ignorance. A sin of unawares. A man's pushing rocks off of a, off of a cliff and another guy's working down there. He inadvertently pushes the rock, smacks the other guy in the head and he dies not of malice, not of ill intent, but of accident, of inadvertently, of ignorance. Then he is entitled to the cities of refuge. You see what I'm saying? When I say sins of ignorance, it does not matter if it was unknowing, it is still sin and incurs guilt and requires blood. Now listen to me on this. It's still sin, even if you say, I forgot, I didn't know. This is, this is not a pretty picture of us tonight. I don't want you to come out here. Ah, this is not Dr. Phil. And you're not going to feel good when you leave tonight. But listen to this. The sin of ignorance. I did not know. I, I, I forgot. Is just as guilty as the one of malice and murder. Both are guilty in the eyes of God. It's the explanation of the sin of ignorance. But let's go on and see the emphasis of the sin of ignorance. 
The truth to be emphasized here is that conscience is not the ultimate standard of right and wrong. Conscience is not the ultimate standard of right and wrong. Let me give you an example of that. Let's say a pastor. He's working a lot of, a lot of nights. He is laboring hard. He has, he has exchanged intimacy with Christ. Time spent with God for sermon preparation. I mean, I'm barking up my own tree here. Sermon preparation. Uh, uh, counseling, visitations, uh, all of these other items that may, and he may have good intentions, have a clean conscience, but in reality, it is a sin of ignorance. The preeminent thing in his life should be time spent with God, intimate relationship with him. See what I'm saying? Maybe a, another example may, may be this, women preachers. You know, flip through the TV. And saw a woman preacher on there. Listen, they, I have no doubt that they have good intentions. That they preach with, uh, with an earnestness and with a, with a conscience that, that bears with, they, they believe in what they're doing. But in reality, it is an abomination. It is a contrary to God's clear directive in God's word. They may be doing it in good conscience, but conscience is not a guide when it comes to righteousness. You understand what I'm saying? We can rationalize a lot of things. Uh, you think about also, here's another example. It's going to hit a lot closer to home. There's, there's a lot fewer women preachers in this room. There's a whole lot more warriors. Warriors. The Bible clearly states that we are to trust God. That we are to, we are to not worry, not care, not to, uh, not, what is it, Philippians tells us, be careful for nothing, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, make requests unto God. We are not supposed to worry, but how many times? We may believe that in our heart, we may say that in our heart, but when difficulty comes through, when the chip's against the wall, what do we find ourselves doing? Biting our fingernails down to the elbow and worrying and sinning against God. Inadvertently it may be. Inadvertently as it is, it is still a sin against God. You see, the truth is, is that our worrying in many aspects that we deal with are a sin against God. Listen, one author said this, God does not suspend His natural laws because of ignorance. You take, for example, a baby on a 15-story building and he is toddling his way toward a window. He leans out and begins to topple over. God doesn't immediately stop the natural law out of ignorance, does He? No, that baby will fall to the ground just as much as the physics professor would fall to the ground. The same is true with God's moral law. God does not suspend His moral laws because of ignorance. God does not suspend His natural laws. God does not suspend His moral laws. Another in emphasis is, another emphasis in this is, that we sin, listen to me now, that we sin far more than we know. We sin far 
more than we know. Andrew Bonar said this, How saddening to find that we grieve the Lord in so many hidden ways. We have a heart as prone to sin as a body is prone to weariness. Elvis, you work a long, hard day on the job. Brother Jim, you work hard on your job. You come for just as much as your body naturally has a tendency to weariness. So our spirit has a tendency to sin. Listen, when you study this word clearly enough and deep enough, there's no way in your right mind you could ever say you're living above sin. Why, you've come to such a sanctified position that you live above sin. There ain't, listen, I go, I've said it many a time, like the old preacher said, only way you'll ever live above sin is to live in the second floor above a pool hall. That's the only way you'll live above sin. You see, uh, we cannot, look at, listen to what Calvin said. Calvin said, the more diligently anyone examines himself, the more readily he will acknowledge that if God should ever discover, that doesn't mean God discovers them, that means He uncovers them. If God were to discover, oh, where am I? Were God to discover our secret faults, there would be found in us an abyss of sins so great as to have neither bottom nor shore. The reality is in our lives is that listen, don't sit there and look at me like your like your Bible Billy Bob or or or, or uh, um, you know it's hard to think of female names and you're you're wondering if you're going to hit somebody uh, 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 Bible Becky or whoever. Listen, don't look at me and 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 and, and stroke your sanctimonious chin and say, oh, listen, brother Ronnie, I'm not that bad. And listen, you just haven't been reading the Bible, really. You just haven't been digging into God's Word. You haven't seen how wicked and perverse that we really and truly are. You see, we too can exclaim with the Apostle Paul, Romans 7, 24, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver this body from death? You see, when we come to grips with the reality of our own sin, Oh, we beat our chests and say, Oh, how merciful God must be to me. But we can also say with the Apostle Paul in that next phrase, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, there's no way that every sin of ignorance was brought to the mind of the Hebrew in Israel. Yes, the man that found out he touched that hide that was unclean, yes, he would have brought a sin offering. But there's no telling how many numerous other sins he had committed in that year that were sins of ignorance and sin. What will happen with those? What will happen with those? Will God strike him dead? Oh, listen, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament times, there was a mop-up day once a year. A mop-up day. That mop-up day was the Day of Atonement. In that Day of Atonement, the goat was brought, the sacrificial goat, one to die, one to be led out of the camp and, and forsaken forever. And that blood was shed and placed not only at the not only at the brazen altar, not only at the altar of incense in that holy place, but that priest went through that one time a year and sprinkled blood in that most holy place. And their sin was rolled over as a whole. 
It's a sin. Every sin of ignorance must be dealt with. Oh, I want you to know our great mop-up day on this side of, of Bible, of Bible, a dispensation is the cross of Calvary. The great mop-up where Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin on that cursed hillside outside of Jerusalem. God mopped up our sin, every uncountable violation of His righteous law, known and unknown, was atoned for in Jesus. Jesus, oh, how boundless, how overwhelming the atoning love of Jesus. That's why the cross is so precious. That's why Calvary is so wonderful. Because He took every sin from my first breath at being born in this world to my last breath I draw on this planet. Took it all up and placed it on Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Oh, I like that old song that says, Calvary covers it all. Calvary covers it all. If you had to depend on your memory, if you had to depend on your reciting of a day to try to think, did I sin? Have I unsinned? Have I sinned unwittingly? Did I rebel against God unknowingly? If it took that to get to heaven, you'd never make it. You'd never make it. You'd never confess enough sins. You'd never spend enough time on your knees. You'd never recall the things that you did against God. Oh, but in Jesus Christ, our all in all. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You see, it is the emphasis of the sin offering. The emphasis of the sin of ignorance. Finally, I want you to see not only this... (coughs) The segregations of the sin offering. Not only the subject matter of the sin offering, but I want you to see the separation of the sin offering. The separation of the sin offering. Here we see something unusual in this offering that we haven't seen before. Now if you'll recall, when we recited all of the details of that offering, much of which patterned itself after the peace offering in which they gave the best parts. You remember the fat, the kidneys, all of the intricate pieces that represented the best part of the animal. But we find the rest was either burned or eaten up. But this time there's something unusual. For the priest and the, and the elders, the remainder of the animal was taken outside of the camp. How many remember that when I read it in those chapters? I'll not go back and read it. But it tells that the remainder of that offering was to be taken outside the camp. The, for the scripture, uh, for the, for the leaders, the sacrifice were to be taken out of the camp and burned. There was a separation between the tabernacle and the remains of the sacrifice. Now I want you to see in this separation, I want you to see the relocation of the sacrifice. Now, if you'll recall, in the days of Hopni and Phinehas, they were the wicked sons of Eli. How many remember that? Eli was not a very good father and did not tend to his boys. And they became wicked priests and caused Israel to sin. It was said in those days that the glory of the Lord departed. That means the Shekinah glory presence of God had left 
the tabernacle. Why? Because of the stench of the sin of Hopni and Phinehas. It was sin that separates. Sin always separates God and man. Isaiah 59 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid His face from you. He will not hear you. You see the remainder of the slaughtered animal has become the embodiment of the guilty man's sin. You remember when that man laid his hand upon that animal. That sin, in effect, uh, 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 theologically transferred into that animal. And the result is, is the remainder of that animal, aside from its best parts and its blood, the remainder of the animal became the embodiment of that sin. And God and sin cannot coincide in the same place. And so therefore... The Hebrews were asked to leave, or the, uh, that, that animal was carried outside the camp to remove the defilement of sin. Now I want you to think about Hebrews 13. Remember when it says, without the camp here, should sound kind of familiar. I've quoted it a couple of times in my messages. Listen to Hebrews 13, 11 through 13. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned without the camp. That's where we are in Leviticus. That's the sacrifice we're talking about. Look at what he goes on to say. Wherefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us therefore unto Him, let us therefore unto Him without uh, the camp, bearing Excuse me, let us go therefore unto Him without the camp bearing His reproach. You see, in the book of Hebrews, the author is attempting to convince the Hebrew people that they can leave aside. They can turn away from that temple because of the new covenant that has been cut. You see, that sacrifice was taken outside to a place outside of the mercies of God, outside of the of the protection and the and the mercy and the the goodness of God, outside the camp was the sacrifice burned. Well, guess where Jesus did? He went outside the camp for the sacrificial offering. He was sacrificed in a place that was a place of sin, a place of abandonment. Why? So that both Jew and Gentile, who was on the outside of that camp, every Gentile, every Moabite, every Philistine, every Edomite, all of those that were outside, that was an unclean place outside the camp. But Jesus Christ has gone outside the camp, sanctifying it to be inhabited by all. And the Hebrew author is telling them, Leave that tabernacle behind. Leave and go outside the camp. For Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Ending the Old Testament rituals and rites. 
You see, there is a new altar outside the camp. The place that once was outside the realm of God's mercy and grace had now by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross been made clean. The realm of the Gentile had been made clean and now Jew and Gentile are called to come outside to Christ to find mercy and grace. The place where, as Hebrews 7.25, wherefore He is able also uh, to save them to the uttermost that come to God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. The place of the new temple, the place of the new tabernacle is made up of living stones called the church of the living God. You see, outside the camp, is where Jesus has come to save both Jew and Gentile. The relocation of the sacrifice. But I want you to see also, last of all, the remorse of sin. Look in chapter number 4, verse 20 and 21. Verse 20 and 21. Look at what it says. And he shall do with the bullock as he did with the bullock of the sin offering. So shall he do with this... And the priest shall make an atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. And he shall carry forth the bullock without the camp, and burn him as he burned the first bullock, for uh, it is a sin offering for the congregation. Here, in the separation of the sin offering, I also see a personal truth regarding the remorse of sin. Verses 20 and 21 tells us that after he had made the sacrifice and given the best parts and he had been forgiven of sins, he was then to carry all the remainder. Now you picture yourself. Picture yourself carrying the legs, the front legs, the back legs, carrying the the head, carrying the entrails and all of that in your arms outside that camp. Camp very well may well could have been miles to get outside the camp. And there that man that committed that sin would carry that bloody heap of, of death in his arms. He would carry it all the way outside the camp. It signifies that we are not merely to confess sin and skip along our merry way, but to weigh the gravity of sin. The just deserts of our sins. I fear too many come to this altar and say, God forgive me and skip along their merry way and not realize the weight. The just deserts of their sin. What we rightfully deserved because of our sin. You see, we are not to turn a light eye, a blind eye, to the, to the gravity of our sins and its just deserts. We are to take our mind's eye to the location outside the camp. A place, a place uh, known in the Old Testament as Tophet. In the New Testament known as Gehenna. A place of death. A place of burning and ruin. Remember, in verse number 20, it said that their sin had already been forgiven. Their sin had already been purged. It had been forgiven. 
But yet the requirement of the requirement was that a picture of remorse for sin. Now listen, I'm not talking about Catholic self-mutilation. I've seen those Catholics walk up and crawl up and down aisles of stone cathedral and bloody their knees hoping that their works would commend them to God. No, I'm talking about after sin's already been forgiven. Sin's already been taken care of. What's going on in this, in this taking it without the camp? It is the, it is to remind us of the bur- place of burning, the place of death, the place and the, of where the requirement uh, for our forgiveness was meant. Andrew Bonar said this of this walk outside the camp. He said, this is no doubt to impress a horror of sin on the soul even after it is forgiven. The forgiven man is most capable of seeing the horror of sin. You see, that's why we sing songs like, Lest I forget Gethsemane. Lest I forget thine agony. Lest I forget thy love for me. Lead me to Calvary. You see, our sin ought not to be, Now I lay me, God forgive me, I'm going to bed. It should be a remembrance of the great cost. The great price for our sin. The blackness and the darkness of every ignorant thing, every purposeful rebellion, every ignorant uh, and lustful and wicked thought ever that ever coursed through my mind, every sin, it should draw me to Calvary and see the great price that He paid. If there is any deterrent from sin, it is Calvary. If there's any deterrent, if there's anything that'll keep me from loving my sin, it is a vivid picture of Calvary. Let us walk with Him outside the camp. Let us survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. Oh, let us look upon Jesus naked and bleeding on a cross for our sin. It should have been us that were burned in Tophet. It should have been us that were hurled into Gehenna. Oh, but He took my place on Golgotha's tree. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You for dying for me. Let's all stand. The shadow of sin and offering. Stand up with me. Elvis, if you'll come with a song of invitation. The shadow of the sin offering points us to the Son offering. The offering of the very Son of God for our many sins. You remember the sin of Romans 5, 12? Remember what it says? Wherefore is by one man sin in the world and death by sin so death passed upon all men for that all have sin. God trumped it on Calvary with 1 Peter 3, 8. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and quickened by the Spirit. Jesus Christ is our sin offering. Calvary's cross was our mop-up day. Our mop-up day. Oh, thank God for Jesus. Hooray for Jesus. Glory to Jesus for dying for our Many, many sins. Every head bowed and every eye closed. You may be here tonight.
And you have sinned willfully, blatantly. You realize in our text that is such a dark and dismal sin that it was not even discussed. You may be here today and you have time and time again shaken your fist in God's face and said, no, I'll do what I will. God help your soul. Your only recourse is to run, not walk to Calvary. Run, flee to the cross, lest the judgment of God befall you at any moment. Oh, come to Jesus. Full forgiveness. For forgiveness of sin. The grace of God. Mercy can be found at Calvary. Would you not come to Jesus? Maybe you'd like to come and thank God. You know, all we can do is back off the sin offering. And all we can do, we can't bring a sin offering anymore. All we can do is say, praise God, my sin offering has happened. Maybe right there at your seat, you'll clear off a spot and stand, begin to think about every wicked thing you've ever done, everything, and wonder at the many times you failed God, that you said no to God, that you inadvertently sinned against God, and then stop and look at His purple blood flowing from His side, His thorn-pierced brow, His pierced hands, and say, praise Jesus, I've got a sin offering. He went without the camp so I could be forgiven. Maybe you'd like to come to this altar and thank Jesus for saving your hell-deserving soul. You come. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank You for Jesus. Oh God, if there's anything this sin offering does, it makes me cling to the cross even greater. Oh, I am such a wicked man. I am such a perverse man. Oh God, but You forgave my sin. You cleansed me from it. Oh God, may I go to You in remorse for my sin, seeing the great price that You paid. May I embrace even more deeply Your your sacrifice for my behalf. Father, we pray You would convict of sin. Those that are here without Jesus, draw them unto Yourself. Help them to flee the wrath to come. Show Show them their precarious state. At any moment they could go out into eternal torment and pay the price of their own sin. God, we pray that they would come to Jesus. God, we pray you'd help your saint embrace your cross even more. Love you more deeply, Father. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.